Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 30 of DM Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is my partner in crime, Ben Bumhofer. How are you doing tonight, Ben? I am doing absolutely fantastic, Ryan. I mean, not only is it, uh, you know, upcoming D&D weekend for me, uh, you know, there's so much to talk about regarding the game, as always, but even more so, we are not alone this week. We are not alone, and I'm super excited to have Justice Armin on tonight as a guest to talk Dungeons & Dragons with us. So, Justice, welcome to the show. Hey, how are y'all doing? Fantastic. It's an absolute honor to have you with us, so thank you very much. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. Uh, so, Justice, before we dive into things, why don't you give us just a little bit of background on yourself, like the, the getting to know Justice, uh, what you've done. Uh, I know you've done a lot of work in, in tabletop RPGs over the years, um, and you're currently working on stuff as well. So tell us a yeah. little bit about yourself. For sure. Um, so my name's Justice. I am an Iranian-American game designer. I'm based in Central Texas. Um, I have written for the, got my start kind of on the DMs Guild uh, with a product called uh, Devil's Advocate, a guide to infernal contracts, uh, and started working for Beetle and Grimm's uh, Pandemonium Warehouse last uh, August. So I've been with them all, a little over a year now um, and have gotten to work with a lot of great folks and uh, most recently uh, writing an article for uh, MCDM's Arcadia and uh, uh, one of the latest D&D Adventures Leagues uh, for season 10. So I got to write about them Chewingas. That's awesome. <laughs> Which I misspelled so many times while doing that. <laughs> My editor went through and they're like, you misspelled this. I'm like, that's so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> that's why there's editors. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Thank goodness for editors. Thank goodness. Um, <laughs> so uh, Normally, we usually have a, a DM and a player segment, um, and I know you are very much an avid DM yourself. Mm. Uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit uh, as we get into things on, on your DMing style, because uh, you, you have a weekly game that you DM, um, and you have DM'd a lot in the past. So just wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit about, uh, as a DM, what are kind of your your core tenants, what are some like tips and tricks that you have learned over the years as you've just gotten better? Yeah. Um, so honestly, I, so I got my start DMing in uh, 2014, I want to say, shortly after the Player's Handbook had come out. Um, I was walking in downtown Utah. I had been a player in a D&D 3.5 campaign um, where I honestly didn't understand anything that was going on. Uh, I just said, what do I pick? There are a thousand feet. Can you help me DM? Uh, and he's like, yes, pick this one. And uh, so I kind of thought I wanted to try DMing, but there were so many books out. I was just so overwhelmed. Uh, and when I heard that fifth edition was starting, I thought that was a great opportunity to kind of get in at the ground floor and learn it as I go. Um, so my first campaign was uh, Homebrew Western, um, where... Very unique. Right into the deep end with guns and everything. <laughs> Learned lots of lessons uh, about that. Um, my DM style, I would say uh, it's, it's very narrative driven. I like to run the published adventures uh, because, you know, with everything being so busy, uh, not only 
are those a great way to learn new ideas and uh, see different ways of writing things um, for my own writing. Uh, it's just nice to have a framework there with which mm -hmm. I can kind of improvise in that box. Um, so our sessions are pretty narrative driven, lots of questions to my players about where they kind of want to go with their characters, um, how they're liking certain arcs and focusing on what they really enjoy about the campaign uh, and, and discarding the things that they don't emphasize. Um, uh, for, for example, kind of with uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist, um, they didn't enjoy the realism aspect of uh, kind of tracking uh, construction costs and things like that. So mm -hmm. we ended up just saying, all right, forget the rolling business tables and let's make the city a little less present in the watch so you feel like you can breathe. Uh, and uh, just kind of adjusting to them and telling great stories and lots and lots of foreshadowing. Ah, that's fun. The, uh, that's, and that's, it's, it's kind of good to hear that every once in a while because uh, published adventures are something I haven't done that mm -hmm. often other than uh, Dragon of Icepire Peak, which I've ran um, oh, yeah. newer people through, which is, it's a great great mm -hmm. introduction to a lot of things. And I know we have a uh, uh, brand new adventure that just dropped like literally today. Yeah. <laughs> Rhyme of the Maiden. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it looks like so much fun. Uh, yeah. One of our, one of our groups is going to be running that one here real soon. So Sweet. I'm very excited to, to play in that one. Yeah. It's, it's cool. No pun intended. Uh, all the Icewind <laughs> Dale stuff. We ran a, we ran a campaign up in Icewind Dale, um, about a year ago now, uh, after Storm King's Thunder, a lot of homebrew stuff. Um, so it's really cool to see them flush out some of those smaller 10 towns. Like Lonelywood has something like 90 people in it. So when you look up stuff on Lonelywood, there's almost nothing out there. So you're like, I don't want them to stop here because I don't, <laughs> I don't know what's here. So mm -hmm. let's just keep wandering in the snow. Um, so now, I mean, that resource is going to be so useful, not only for people who run and run, run, want to run that campaign, but who just want to make a trip up there at some point, uh, go to Bryn Shander and uh, you know, fight white dragons and yetis and all that good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, so since you do a lot of the, you know, the, the, the pre-published adventures and everything like that, um, you know, it is every DM's job to, you know, kind of play it fast and loose at, at times and everything. What's been the biggest challenge that you've like kind of come across running one of those where uh, like the, the group just went in an entirely different direction than the main plot line went? Yeah, um, that's a good question. So with the published adventures, I, I'd like to say I know my characters pretty or my players. Uh, I know them pretty well. And one of the best things about checking in with them regularly is that that helps me identify what I need to run. There have been times, there have been times where they have done some surprising things. Uh, I think the one thing that's most challenging about the published adventures um, is not keeping people on that track, so to speak. Um, but it's the, it's a sense of urgency that, that kind of pervades each module. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you're doing a homebrew campaign, you can find those natural ebb and flows um, and you can kind of end a season of your campaign, take some downtime, check in yeah. with everybody. But in these adventures, you know, like Descend Over, and it's like Elturel has been sucked into hell. So you're not going to like go <laughs> hang out at the store for two weeks or build a stronghold. You're like, we need to get down there. People are in hell right now. And when you get back up, you're done with the campaign. So 
it's it's hard to uh, kind of entice your players to go have fun on those side quests and stuff because they get that they get that main quest guilt a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there was this one talking about surprising things. So there was this one part of our last campaign where um, the characters were in the heart of the fire giant god Surtur, um, who had been killed in our campaign. And when they got there, they were trying to get this spell component, basically, which was this essence of his heart um, that needed to be harvested in this iron flask. And uh, when they got in, there was all types of corruption and stuff in the body. The body was like a temple, not a temple. The body is a temple, Um, but it was like its own dungeon. And so when they got into the chamber of the heart, there were these two other interested parties, one of which was uh, Weeblex, the god of oozes. So there's all this corruption and dripping ooze and stuff in different heart chambers, clogging it up. And then in the other one, uh, there's this drow priestess, Eklavdra from Against the Giants. And uh, when Mordenkainen comes in to like get everybody out and bail them out, um, one of the characters is like, I think I'm going to stay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I get they... They felt pretty confident in staying uh, in the room with Weeblex, and that was an interesting follow-up session. <laughs> <laughs> they did make it out alive. It was it was Morden kind of basically bailed them out of there, but he stayed behind. And so the next session came, and she's like, "I'm not going to abandon you, Morden kind." And he's like, "I have like 20 clones. You should have left. Like, <laughs> I was going to be fine." <laughs> that that one of those times where you're just like. Well, we'll end here tonight. Right. Yeah. <laughs> end a little bit early today. Yeah. Yeah. That's how those high levels get sometimes. I cast Wish. It's like, well, we're going to stop here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, you, you mentioned uh, what, what I really like, making sure uh, to have your, your check-ins with your players and uh, making sure that you're doing things that uh, resonate with them and such. Um, you have a, a really good blog and several articles you've written on different uh, facets of D&D. And kind of in our, our DM section, one of the ones I wanted to talk about a little bit was one you entitled, Can I Get a Redo? Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it's really, really great article. And um, we will definitely be giving links to, to all of his stuff <laughs> later, mm-hmm. later in the show. But um, pretty much this is, about uh in a lot of ways not not as much combat oriented but more social oriented Mm -hmm. and it's it's something that i've done a few times without really necessarily realizing the the framework around it or that there could be some sort of framework around it um so i wanted to talk to you a little bit and we can kind of just go back and forth on what what is this concept and why might um, DMs want to implement something like it in their games to, to help out just their overall story or help out their players? Yeah. Um, so contrary to what you'd think, uh, being a dungeon master actually helps you in a lot of other areas of your life. Um, one of which I'm a, I'm, my day job is a, is a clinic manager um, of a surgical clinic and a, and a couple other departments. Um, and I was doing this interview with this uh, person who worked with um, this uh, children's home that has uh, a lot of, uh, I guess what you'd say is children who come from hardship and, you know, they have very difficult backgrounds. Um, and sometimes, you know, these kids having gone through this hardship, they have, they'll respond to things in a way that 
you know, vents those emotions out, sometimes not exactly kind. Um, but this person I was interviewing, she said that she would always ask the kids uh, if they needed a redo. And it's basically just a, a second chance, a little bit of grace, um, you know, and, and after, um, you know, doing this with these kids, you know, a kid gets mad, they say something they don't mean, she says, would you like a redo? Usually the second time the kid comes back, they say something um, nicer. Um, and eventually the kids started asking this uh, of themselves. They would turn to her and say, you know, Miss Darcy, can I get a redo on what I just said? And of course, she's like happy to see that it's growth. And she'd say, absolutely. So, you know, I've used this in my personal life now, um, and I use it in my games um, pretty, pretty often, I'd say. Um, you know, the first thing that usually comes out of someone's mouth when they're role playing with the villain is an insult. And uh, they might need something from the villain, or it might be, a, it might be someone respected, they might be talking to, you know, Lyra Silverhand in Waterdeep and joke about her hair. Uh, and you can say as the DM, like, do you want to redo? Do you, is that, are you sure that's what you want to say? Cause you're about to ask her a really big favor. And you, you know, usually that sort of thing um, prompts them to reconsider it. Sometimes they say, nope, that's exactly what I want to say. And that's, I think that's totally fine. Um, but it, but it helps to separate and kind of give that grace of the first thing that comes out of your mouth doesn't have to be the thing that your character says. Um, if combat is six seconds and a round of that can take anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes at high levels, um, <laughs> you might as well extend that sort of thing to social encounters. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I mean, it, just in our, our own personal lives and everything, it's so much easier if you're, you know, having some sort of discussion, you know, over text or email or something. So you have a lot of time to really think about your responses yeah. when all of a sudden in the heat of the moment, just throwing something out there, it's like, oh, I definitely didn't intend it to go that way, mm -hmm. but now we've taken a step that we really can't go back with. So, I oh, mean, yeah. I love the idea of, you know, looking at social encounters kind of, not, not like strategically, but giving it, you know, more thought to it as opposed to that mm -hmm. spur of the moment reaction. That, it's a really good way of looking at it. Yeah, and, and personally for me, and I think a lot of people struggle with social encounters, I think they're harder than combat because, you know, when, you, when you're participating in combat, everything you need to know is on your sheet. You know, those are all the abilities your character can do. Um, the rules are very clear cut. And, you know, one of the three pillars of D&D &D being social encounters, there's not a whole lot of rules on it. Um, and, you know, your backstory is as deep as you want it to be. Um, mm -hmm. you, you can have a 13-page backstory. You can have a two-sentence backstory. Um, but sometimes you need to come up with stuff that's, you know, not in there and uh, draw from that experience. And it takes time to, to get into that mindset, especially if you play in more than one campaign and you're basically shifting from personality to personality. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I, I was, I was, I was just kind of uh, thinking about that because we all, we all get different players in our games. They all come from different types. One of, one of my main campaigns that I DM, I, I have a few people that are super into, into role play, super into it. Mm -hmm. And I have a guy who, says is is very much like my character says this or my character mm -hmm. says that type thing both completely yeah. valid ways of going uh, about it it's just it's just different personalities mm -hmm. um i i know you had mentioned uh, the the backstory thing and it, it's, it's kind of funny because you will always you always get those players who's just like all right this is my this is my family history the complete this, history this of is, my this character. is this is the novel of yeah, yeah the character i did that then, once 
And I did that once. The reason I said 13 pages was because I wrote 13 pages. Oh, <laughs> it's his oddly specific number for a reason. <laughs> and then, yeah, you get the, the, the person who, this is, this is a paragraph. So uh, as a DM, how do you, how do you deal with uh, that, that dichotomy between hmm. uh, working, working those types of things into the same campaign that here's the novel and I have so many things specific here and there versus I'm basically a blank canvas almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was talking with um, Dustin and Devin. Um, they're the co-DMs of D4. Um, and they said that every week they asked their characters two questions, or I guess they asked their players two questions. And they say, uh, you know, how does your character feel after the session? Basically, uh, what are your character's current short-term goals? Have those changed? And what are your character's current long-term goals? And the, have those changed? Because even with all that wealth of backstory, um, even with something like a level one character <laughs> um, who's, you know, already achieved nobility or, you know, slayed a <laughs> king or something like that, uh, they still don't know what's in store for them. And that backstory is going to have to be framed around the events of the campaign to um, be meaningful during session. So I think asking those regular questions to the players helps them think about that, you know, for a character, I keep saying character when I mean player, it's a complicated thing. You don't want to say you killed a player last night. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we did that on an episode pretty much. <laughs> Just yeah. can't say that over and over again. Yeah. Like, Oops. Um, but yeah, so for somebody who writes a ton of stuff, you know, they love that question because they're like, oh, wow, yeah, let me think about all these things and how that would shape it. And it's kind of a fun exercise for them. And for somebody who doesn't engage with that sort of thing, it starts to get them in a mindset that will help them improve, um, I feel like, in role play. Um, because not every time, but I think most times, the people who tend to write really, really short backstories um, tend to struggle with role play. Um, Mm -hmm. not all the time. Some people are just great role players and they can method act and just get into it. Um, yeah, those types of questions help. And then the other thing I'd say is, um, we do weekly role play warmups at our table. Um, I post them every Friday on uh, Twitter. I'll I'll post, you know, a role play warmup for everybody. And that question, I usually frame that about something that's going to happen in the session, whether they know it or not. So if, you know, we're playing a horror adventure and they're about to go into a haunted house, but they don't know it, I might ask, you know, what is your character's biggest fear? Or um, if they're going to be dining with uh, a nobility who can get them anything they want to eat and wants to sweet talk them, I might ask what's their favorite home cooked meal or something like that. So they're kind of already training to think about something that's going to occur in the session. And by the time they get to that moment, They've either in a past role play warm up crossed that territory that's similar, or, um, or they know exactly what the answer is because it hasn't changed since that moment. That is, first of all, opening up like just so many doors and, and everything in my mind for just talking to my characters or yeah, you know, my my player characters and everything. I have a, a, a pretty decent uh, kind of variety of, of players in my campaign where you know some people who played D anD D before, some who haven't. And seeing them from session one till now, just like the, the amount of role playing and everything that's happened and just the growth and development in that over the past two and a half years has just been amazing to watch. Mm-hmm. So being able to like take it up and the next couple of steps and like really kind of 
jump into this this character's skin and stuff is going to be something that uh, I'm I'm going to be doing a lot more now. I, I really appreciate that. That's, that's some really great advice. And mm, I, I think it's going to really help out with some some sessions coming up. Yeah, for a while, um, you probably can't see it on my shelf, but we um, I encourage each of the players to buy a copy of, uh, uh, I think it's called the Ultimate RPG Player Guide by James Diamato. Um, and that has book. all kinds of great prompts in it for, thinking about your character in sometimes wacky scenarios and other times really straightforward or somber ones. Like what are your last words going to be? Um, what do you leave a character in the event of your death? Um, and uh, I think it's, it's an awesome resource, uh, especially if it's something you, you don't do a whole lot at your table. Yeah, that's, that's a, it's a fantastic book. It's an absolutely fantastic book. Um, before we, we kind of shift a little more to the player side, um, I, I kind of, <laughs> I wanted to, we, we talked about uh, a little bit about the, the redo stuff and uh, mm-hmm. how characters, your, your character backstory and how you're interacting and such. As a DM, do you ever go, hold on guys, can I get a redo on that? Oh yeah, yeah, all the time. Uh, especially when you're playing like hyper intelligent characters. Oh yeah. Um, or, <laughs> or, or you say something you know, you kind of say that because as a DM, you're on the whole time. You know, as a player, I can sit and while somebody else is talking, I can write a few lines that my character might say and, and, and you know, come back to the DM with like, boom, what do you think of that? Uh, but as a DM, it's you, you prepped before and in the moment, you, unless you have characters who love to role play among themselves, um, you, you are going to be on that whole night until you even even during your break you're probably thinking this has happened how do i need a plan for that um so yeah yeah there are times where i'll say uh actually um she doesn't say that she says this instead or or i'll say mm, actually now that i think about it that doesn't make sense for them to have done that let's move back about two minutes and i'll say the line over again i'll be like here's the scene again that was, you know, ignore what just happened. This is the new canon. And everybody's like, oh, okay, yeah, let's do that. Um, so I'm lucky. It takes, it takes your players also being okay with that. We're a pretty forgiving table. We recognize that, you know, um, none of us are trained professionals. We don't have history of uh, improv. Uh, a couple of us have been on a, uh, on a small community stage at some point, um, but we're just there to have fun and tell great stories and um, we give each other a lot of slack, which is uh, very helpful. And sometimes we give each other a lot of shit. Like when, uh, <laughs> when, when our barbarian ran in and he, and he stuttered, he said, great weapon master. That whole session was just baby talk. Uh, but it's, it's one of our favorite memories too. A lot of times, some of the best memories do come out of those kind of moments. Yeah, for sure. And I, for me, I think one of one of the best experiences I have as a DM is when I can actually sit back and mm-hmm. let my players just go at it. Like yeah. whenever whenever those moments happen, that to me is just like, ah, oh, this is this is it. We've made it. This is that means there's enough They're going on up. between the characters <laughs> that they can hold their own and I don't need to be here right now. And that's that's wonderful. Yeah. Usually yeah. that's puzzles for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they're notoriously bad at puzzles and they know that. 
<laughs> that's great yeah for me it's one of those moments where it's like okay they're trying to figure out you know the planning stages of something and everything and yeah there's like two or three npcs in there but eh, they're just gonna keep quiet because they're not the ones who are going out and doing the adventuring it, it, it's mm-hmm. perfectly fine for them to you know just maybe jump in here or there with a the little bit of knowledge and it's like oh no they you really don't want them to go to this place because that has nothing to do with the whole thing so it's like right eh, let's steer them back this way mm-hmm. yeah for sure um, and uh using that kind of as a segue let's let's jump into our our player discussion and um this is this is one of the uh big things that actually turned me on to your content was uh someone uh might have been uh, like sly flourish or or someone I, mm-hmm. I saw a retweet to your uh blog article called getting feedback from your players and and I don't know if I am on an island, but sometimes it feels like trying to get feedback from your players can be like pulling teeth. Like mm-hmm. they, they seem like they're having a ton of fun in the session. And then you like reach out and they're just like, yeah, it was fun. Like, yeah, yeah, I had a great time. And it's just like, okay, great. Can you, I need, can, can you give me more, please? I, I, can you give me something actionable or something like that? So I was reading the article and I was like, dang, this is, this is good. You, uh, you have a, a system <laughs> down. Oh, it's, and of, it's evolved. That's a feedback. long survey too. Yeah. And, and it, for, uh, my first thought was, there's no way I can get my players to fill this out. Uh, but then I was just kind of thinking about it a little more and it's like, okay, this is, this is big, maybe some baby steps. Yeah. And so well, that's kind of what I wanted to start the discussion on as first as a DM, making sure um, you have the attitude of being open for feedback and then uh, kind of how as a DM you solicit feedback from your players mm-hmm. and good tips for, for getting that kind of conversation going. Yeah. Um, so I think starting off the first way to start these conversations with your players is to, um, one, give yourself enough time. Um, you know, if you're constantly ending sessions late, uh, it's, it's asking too much of your players to um, ask them to participate in a lengthy discussion about how the session went, especially if you play at night, they might be tired if they got off work and they're, you know, they're coming for that sort of thing. Um, of course, you know, DMs prep a lot. I feel like a lot of people say it's always the DMs job to do things, but being a DM is also is hard and sometimes thankless. Um, but giving yourself adequate time so that you can end a session on a high note, um, and, you know, ask them what resonated with them, what they didn't care about. Um, and just ask, you know, some basic questions the, the first, the first thing you can do is just get into the habit of when you end session saying, um, how did you all feel about session? And when they say good, um, you can say, what did you like about it? Um, and then yeah, when you're feeling confident, you can add, what didn't you like about it? Um, if they said, if they don't catch everything, that's fine. I feel like players catch about 30% of, of what you say, unless it's on a grid or in a handout, um, is they're going to miss things unless they're really diligent note takers. Um, another early question I would ask is um, how did this moment look in your head? You know, how did you see this event taking place? You know, my players would say something like, Oh, I 
felt like Lord of the Rings and that part where they're on that bridge and they're across this and it's this huge, huge bridge. And in my mind, you know, I don't see that, but it tells me what parts of my descriptions they pick up on or, or how an NPC came off. If they're like, this person seemed pretty rude, um, but they're dignified. I might ask a deeper question. Why did you think this character was rude? Or why did you think, why did you like that NPC? Is it because they were fun or was it because they made you laugh or um, that sort of thing? Um, Once you've kind of gotten into the habit of asking more informal questions like that, and especially if you feel like the answers you're getting are still maybe not dismissive, but not detailed enough, um, you can make a short list of, of questions. Uh, I know some people have some player feedback forms. Um, I'm, I was thinking about making one and sticking it on my blog at some point because somebody asked me for a smaller version of the survey, like a, like a just a post-session survey um, to ask those same questions. How did you feel about session? Rate it on a scale of, you know, one to five. And, uh, you know, what NPC stood out to you most, that sort of thing. Um, but you can ask somewhere between you know one one to five questions. Just print it out, give them a little sheet of paper or or whatever form is easiest for you. I mean, we're all isolated these days, so you might need to send a Google Form link or SurveyMonkey or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, you can slowly get them into that and start to incentivize them to eventually. Um, take on a bigger survey. Um, personally, I think the campaign for refresher that I posted is quite long. Um, if it's the first thing you give your characters, uh, your players, it might intimidate them. Uh, <laughs> I told my players right up front, I was like, this is going to take you 20 to 30 minutes. Um, <laughs> but you're going to get a lot to say in it. And it's going to really help our games. And it's really going to help me because I'm very busy. Um, and I gave them two weeks to do it. We took a night off one Saturday. Um, and uh, played some board games instead. Uh, so, but you can always take that survey in pieces. Um, you can give it to them one question at a week um, and narrow each survey down to just one question. And it's a lot easier to go question one, which is your favorite, you know, like rate each of the three pillars. It might be a surprise to you what one player says that they don't enjoy combat or even more than one player. And, uh, you know, that's something where you have to start to analyze if it's just one player and combat is loved by everyone, how can I make combat enjoyable for that person? Mm-hmm. Um, if they love role play, maybe I need to put some smack talk in combat. And instead of having monsters kind of be more static and, and it feeling more mathematical, Maybe the frost giant needs to talk about, you know, using the halflings, you know, as like a toothpick or something like that when they're done with them. (laughs) Um, And that that character might be like, oh, yeah, well, it's time to go. You know, I hope that answers your question. Oh, I would say so. Um, So just out of curiosity, what's uh, one one example that's by using you know, just the campaign refresher or any of the, the different, you know, post session questions that you've given your players where it has been so different from your perception of it, whether it's, um, you know, acting out an NPC and, and how you viewed their persona versus, um, Oh, this encounter I thought went really well, but one person just, you know, didn't enjoy it at all or, or something. Let me bring up my last I'm going to bring up my, my total question responses for the most recent one I gave out. This I gave out at, at level five for Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. 
Um, this is before we kind of took a detour um, to set up kind of a side villain last week. That's the one that killed one of the characters. So I think they've oh, been no. appropriately cemented as a villain. <laughs> whether a whether good, good or bad. To, to ask questions too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so some things that I thought stuck out to me um, of all the respondents, um, it's usually the ones where everybody agrees on something that kind of stand out. Um, the fall, I enjoy the following styles of play. Check all that apply. Um, every one of my players rated hack and slash as something they enjoy. So that kind of tells me that sometimes they, they really don't want a consequence for a combat encounter. Sometimes they want to slay some goblins and not feel bad afterwards. Like, yeah, um, we don't need the, uh, you know, the mother goblin coming out and saying, you know, that <laughs> goblin was about to go to college. What did you do? <laughs> they don't want that. Um, let's see. Another one was uh, a third of my party loves linear, linear uh, stories. Hmm. They, they really don't mind saying, here are your three choices. Um, pick one of them. Um, and similarly, none of my players love sandbox campaigns. They don't like that open-ended direction they want to see the options they have and they want to take ownership of them in their own ways and before when i issued this survey the first time half the party said they wanted an open sandbox campaign which is what i gave them and i said welcome to 10 towns in icewind dale you can go anywhere here are the problems what do you want to do and they said i don't understand where are we supposed to go i'm like you can go (laughs) wherever you want they're like i go to the tavern i talk to this person and you know that person has a story and they have things going on they're like but which one of these am i supposed to do i'm like it's whatever you want <laughs> where do you want to go and like, i don't like this <laughs> <laughs> too much freedom so i i changed that question to add descriptions of what each of those three things meant um but uh, i think one of the one of the questions that stood out to me on this last one is difficulty of combat um mm-hmm. You know, they're level one to five. Um, The party does not have access to resurrection magic. Um, We're going to be introducing some new rules to resurrection to see, to kind of get rid of me having to keep track of the diamonds, but also making it uh, chance-based when it comes to whether or not they'll be resurrected. Um, And Descent to Avernus has a notoriously difficult dungeon, the Dungeon of the Dead 3, has gotten a reputation for being kind of deadly. And uh, that is a dungeon that my group of players actually fled from. Um, They went in, they got halfway in. They said, we're not going to make it if we push on. We touched yellow mold. I've used all of my healing. We're level three. We can't take this. Let's go and come back. So when they came back the second time, the NPC they were looking for was dead. Um, They had to find the leads for it. And so a third of the party said that, combat was pretty hard not brutal um, but pretty hard and i think that that was probably why it was that dungeon um so it it kind of let me know okay two of the people at my table think that you know their characters are actively in danger how can i scale things back um because i think the people who think combat is just right they're going to be fine if it's a little easier yeah yeah that's uh, that's that's really interesting and man just you you describing that it sounds like uh, it's it's just such a delicate balancing act because mm-hmm. like how is how is a DM and, and I know you kind of talked about it a little bit how does how is a DM do you balance that like 
these three players have this play style, but these three players have this play style. Like, how do we, how do we mesh that? Because all these people seem to be having a good time. We're all friends, mm-hmm. et cetera. And it's not, it's not like a personality thing or whatever. It's just a play style thing. How do you, how do you use a DM go? Okay. Oh, how, let's, let's get that some, find some marriage in there mm-hmm. where both styles can have fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a really good question um, because it is challenging, uh, especially if this if these results came back that somebody said combat was trivial, and the other half said that it was brutal. Uh, you can't. You, there's no direction. It takes <laughs> yeah. talking to those players, and you have to come back to them and for stuff like that and say, okay, let's level. I don't know what to do here. Half of y'all say it's easy. Why do you say it's easy? The other half of you say it's the hardest thing ever. And you kind of got to take the survey as a whole because there's other things like, there's a question in here that says like, I feel like my abilities are actively being canceled. Um, If you're a DM and you got a paladin and they have a plus five charisma and suddenly all the DCs for the devils are five points harder to make, (laughs) it might not be the best solution for that problem because that player's chosen a class to Mm -hmm. get a certain feeling and, and that's been negated. Um, but I think when they differ strongly, you need to talk to your players and, and be honest with them and talk about, you know, I'm just a person. I've got a job. Um, I'm prepping this stuff for you all and I want you to have a good time. Uh, but here's the predicament I'm in. Um, beyond that, if it's something small, the discrepancy is not so large. It's, it's somebody loves hack and slash and somebody loves investigation. It's giving opportunities for that character to find investigation amidst the hack and slash for them to help connect the dots to the next encounter um, and talking to them to prompt them to basically give them a way to make the most of the session is, you know, you can start kind of like a side arc that doesn't have to detract from the narrative you're saying. Um, Maybe that character has a criminal contact that they talk to regularly who says, hey, here's the latest scoop you need to be aware of what's going on and you kind of create a side mystery for that character that gives them a little bit of joy, something to solve at the end of each one of these encounters. Uh, maybe the villains are wearing a strange symbol that that player wants their character to go research at Candlekeep or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope that helps. It is a difficult balance sometimes and sometimes it's just you know, acknowledging with the players and making sure that you have a little checklist and you say, I made something in this session for this character and I put something in this session for this character and I didn't lean too far on these three things I want to focus on. Because you, you can't solve all of this survey at once. If it takes 30 minutes, you won't, you won't be able to have those perfect sessions every time. But you can see where the discrepancy is the biggest and focus there. Yeah, and like the the biggest message that I'm getting out of this is that while D&D is very much a collaborative, you know, kind of storytelling experience and everybody's coming together to, you know, participate, the open communication while you're playing is just as important as open communication when you're not actually playing. And mm-hmm. being able to, you know, give your players like a, a I guess, a, a safe space to, you know, really come to you and, and talk to you about, you know, any sort of issues that they have, as well as, you know, being able to kind of adjust it and make everything work and balance and stuff is kind of just a big name in the game here. And, uh, you know, the, the effort that you've put into making sure that, you know, it's enjoyed by everybody and stuff is definitely a testament to 
how good of a DM you are and how um, much effort that you do put into your player's actual enjoyment. I appreciate it. I am a classic over prepper. Um, I love Sly. <laughs> I have Sly's book. I talk with Mike regularly um, on Twitter and, you know, occasionally we'll gush about Dwarven Forge together. Um, <laughs> but uh even though his book says do it in 30 minutes, I still take those tenants and I'll spend one to two hours on it at least and just enjoy it. Cause I enjoy prep. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to be a DM, you gotta be at least a little masochistic and uh, you know, get in the weeds a little bit sometimes cause it's, it's kind of fun. Uh, and you know, with these big surveys uh, you can't be issuing them every week. It's like a once in a adventure type thing, mm-hmm. you know, you reached level five, you're about to get life restoring magic. Things are going to change, you know, let's check in or you just finished the adventure book and we want to keep playing with these characters. How were the last 10 levels, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I think uh, a, a big takeaway from this is too, as a, as a DM being open to changing, mm-hmm. changing some of, some of uh, your style, potentially for a specific party changing up some of the, some of the things you might be doing. Cause I know at least for me personally, sometimes as DMS, we can latch on to something and have a very hard time letting it go. Even if it's not necessarily for the best of the game itself, Mm -hmm. or it's not resonating with the players and Mm -hmm. it's, it's, much better and it th- this that's where this type of feedback really can come in helpful mm-hmm. because one it points it out uh to kind of give you the idea that it's oh this character that i <laughs> i really like personally but my my players just don't yeah. like this character at all okay this character needs to step back uh mm-hmm. need to need to try again with with something else that that might resonate more and hopefully i can like them a whole lot yeah. too because you got to make sure as a dm you're having fun too because this mm-hmm. is this is a game we're all playing but being yeah. open to that feedback it, it it just seems like it's very much a I, I love the idea of regular player feedback even if it's just in small parts because that <laughs> keeps you honest as a dm too yeah. yeah i'll say this it's it's humbling sometimes um there's that knee-jerk reaction of oh they're wrong this isn't a hard encounter. They just didn't see the obvious thing there that I see. But it's kind of like businesses and and customers. It's like the consumer is always right. Your players, they might not mechanically understand it, but they remember how something made them feel. And at the end of the day, if you want your players to enjoy it and feel good, feeling is going to matter more than, you know, those hard numbers sometimes. CR is flexible and um, you can always adjust hit points down if you need to. Um, but uh, when you start adjusting them up, <laughs> your players are going to notice and uh, sometimes they're going to feel bad about it. So you, when they say they do, you got you to gotta take it to heart, even though sometimes it hurts because you put in all this work. Yeah, that, and I will say that balancing combat is still the thing that gives me the most challenge because... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've got some pretty savvy players. They're 
like getting better and better with each combat yeah. and now they just started incorporating banishments pretty i mean i will <laughs> say regularly it's happened twice now where it's like okay we're just gonna banish that dude it's like no so like, now i'm not banishing everyone exactly there goes like, there goes my difficulty <laughs> yeah, I've, got, I've got a bard and a sorcerer who charm and banish i'm like okay so now we need to kind of work around that but also there's always the chance that it'll fail so i can't make it too hard and right and it, it's always the the juggling of of cr and, and combat and you know making sure that it's it's challenging but not deadly every single time right yeah because because it, when it's kind of like that scene in uh the incredibles where he's like if every it's like if everything's deadly then nothing is you know? <laughs> exactly <laughs> so um yeah but i i totally feel that when your players get that good combo you want to you want to reward it you don't want to counteract it but mm-hmm. uh it can it can make things difficult because it's a sensitive balance um especially when you start getting up in those levels and um yeah ben and and so many of those awesome player moments that you get where you get to dispel the demon and send it back yep. when you turn those on your players it doesn't feel good oh, if you no. banish a player it's like <laughs> they don't get a turn until they come back like so they're sitting there and i don't care if they take out their phone i feel bad for them like um so i don't know about you guys but whenever whenever i i always feel really bad whenever i paralyze someone paralyze oh, yes. amaze i, I feel amaze so bad, bad. Oh, like it has, I, 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 it, it just may be like, I don't run a whole lot of monsters with paralyze. No. I think some, sometimes just for that, that very thing. <laughs> I know it's just, it's just like, I feel so bad because I have six players in my, yeah. in my main campaign. You lose a turn of combat. You're, you're mm-hmm. sitting yeah. out for like t- 20 minutes, 15, right. 20 minutes sometimes, depending on what's going on. So it's, that, there's always a, there's a balance in that mm-hmm. too. That's yeah, deal. those, those turn stealing effects, I, I still, they're still so polarizing for me. It's, there's a few of them and, uh, and they don't feel good. And you get that moment where your player, you know, picks up their character sheet and they're like, mm, what else can I do? And you're like, I'm sorry, you don't get actions, reactions, and you can't speak. And they're like, <laughs> I do anything and you're like you can make a save at the end of your turn in three <laughs> turns like feels bad yeah, yeah. And unfortunately it's the wisdom saving throw on the guy that has negative one mm-hmm. his wisdom and no no proficiency in it and uh yeah, yeah it's yeah, I am. I'm notorious that if if they go up against a spellcaster, that spellcaster knows counter spell. It's just hands down. I figured in a world of magic you don't want it used against you. So you're going to learn the thing that stops it. So sorry, party, but yeah, there's a good chance they have it and it's ready. No matter what. Scary. You're playing like chicken with the DM. You're like, mm, do they have it? Do you, do I want to cast my big spell? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Yeah, I feel that. Um, all right. Well, that's, that's awesome. That's, I think there's a lot of, a lot of great tips. I know I for sure am going to, going to take back with, I, and I speak for myself uh, personally, but I would love a small version of that as well. I think that would be super helpful, but I do love the idea of the, just getting started, trying to make sure that you end, end sessions at a time where you have 15, 20 minutes to go. Mm -hmm. How was session guys? 
Mm-hmm. I think that's a great starting point. So. I'm really bad at ending session on time. Uh, same. Especially, yeah, same. All yeah. those moments, they feel that you're like, this is the big moment. It's got to, we can't end when this mind flare is walking towards a player. But honestly, when I look back on it, how epic would that session have been? <laughs> Man, it's the mind flare's turn. And then you're like, and we'll continue next week. Like everybody's like, no. <laughs> um, rather than, hey, someone died see you next week like yeah totally yeah yep for sure um so to to kind of wrap up our our discussion segment um one of the things I've, I've been wanting to talk about and we haven't super well because i'm not an expert on it uh but it's the dms guild and hmm. for those that don't know the dms guild is basically uh a place where you can publish your own uh D content your own supplementary content to uh, other published things. And there's, there's all sorts of different rules. I'm not going to talk about them because I don't know <laughs> enough about yeah. them. You have certain, you have certain um, properties you can work with if I'm, right. I'm not mistaken um, that you can develop in uh, the more official, official properties. But justice, you have published several things on the mm-hmm. DMs guild. And so I wanted to just kind of give you a few minutes to, to talk about for any aspiring uh, writers, any aspiring uh, designers who were thinking about, Oh, I made this really cool warlock subclass yeah. or this really cool paladin oath or, or this, this level one to five adventure or something and I want to kind of get it out to more people in a more official context, maybe even make a little bit of money off mm-hmm. of it. Um, how just kind of go over a little bit uh, how you got into that, how and how the publishing on the DM skill works. Yeah. Um, so I kind of got into it. I think I first found out about it on Reddit. Um, it's gotten a lot bigger over the past year. Um, and uh, MT Black, uh, he's a pretty prolific creator on there. I've written with him a few times and, uh, you know, we're, we just did Darkhold together. Uh, he led a contest called the Lonely Scroll Adventure Contest where it was like, hey, make a one-page adventure and submit it. And if, it, if it's good, you might win uh, a contest and possibly some money. Uh, and you're able to, uh, four weeks after we publish this thing, you can publish your, your adventure and have the rights to it. Um, so I thought I can make a one page adventure. That's one page. It's not so hard. Well, it was actually really challenging to get it to all fit on one page. Um, but uh, I had put something on there for my home game that I threw together in natural crits home brewery, kind of like GM binder, um, software. And uh, I put that up there back in October. Cause we do an annual spooky one shot. Cause I'm a big fan of Halloween and, uh, I had made it pay what you want. And I logged in and there was uh, like 40 or 50 bucks in there. And it turned out like 90 people, it had had like 1300 downloads and 90 people decided, um, even though they weren't required, they wanted to pay me a buck for that. And that was really cool. Yeah. It was super humbling. I was like, that's really great. I immediately felt embarrassed because the quality of it was so bad and tried to work and get it to look good. Um, but I'd say that, you know, if you want to publish on the DMs Guild, um, the, I mean, of course, the main things are, you know, y- your cover has to have the DMs Guild logo for one. Um, your cover doesn't have to be custom commissioned. It doesn't have to be fancy. Um, the, the main pieces of advice I would give are start small. 
uh, and keep your expectations low the first time. Uh, there are people who have entire portfolios on the DMs Guild, which are well-deserving of more sales than they, than they receive. Uh, however, it sometimes takes being on a big break style project. And uh, once your name's out there, you'll slowly notice that when, when somebody likes your products, um, they might go back in and buy something else that you've, you've created. They say, wow, I really, really like that one. What else did this person have? And that thing that you made a year ago that really didn't get the attention it deserves, well, it gets one to two sales a month and that's $5. And if you have 20 of them, that's $100, you know? Um, so start small, uh, keep it focused, you know, write about something you're passionate about. Um, and I would say, use that IP, um, you know, you, you get a cut out of your, out of your earnings to pay Wizards of the Coast, not only to use a brand associated with theirs, but have free reign to mention, um, you know, characters like Mordenkainen, Elminster, um, to use the entire available book set with the exception of a few settings. Um, you, can, you can even in some instances include full reprints of published spells and monsters for convenience. Um, so if you're already paying for it, use it. Like, you know, don't, don't publish something general that could, you could easily make a hundred percent of sales on itch, um, work it with the D and D and, uh, and make something that gets people excited and, and kind of shares a little bit with the brand because not only will that skill set helpful, help you if you want to be a writer and write for another company that already has established IP or even wizards of the coast one day, um, you, you'll benefit from, from, uh, you know, incorporating that, mm -hmm. that, uh, lore and, uh, that content. That's awesome. Now, do you find it, uh, kind of a little bit more constricting that way though, when you're using a, a an actual known IP, whereas, um, you know, something that's completely homebrew on your own, you could just, you know, pull anything from anywhere and, you know, it, you know, you don't have to worry about continuity or, or anything along those lines. Yeah, um, I think at times it can be. Um, it depends on how the extent that you use the IP for Elminster's Candlekeep Companion. Uh, you know, we had N. Greenwood, Ed Greenwood consulting on that project. Um, it is the go-to resource for Candlekeep in the Forgotten Realms, which means I was scrolling through 20-year-old forums um, with oh, a JPEG wow. about 100 pixels high that had thousands <laughs> of words. And I felt like I had become a close cloistered scholar hunched over in my dark, you know, <laughs> office, um, reading from this scroll, refusing to copy and paste it in a word doc for easier viewing. I wanted to simulate that experience. Um, and yeah, checking back with Ed and saying, does this make sense? Because, you know, we really wanted to update and collect everything and, uh, it was also something I was passionate about because when I ran a session where we went to Candlekeep, I didn't know what the hell was in that place and it was scattered. Um, but I know plenty of people who incorporate the IP in minor ways. That's a lot more applicable. Um, if you've got a, you know, a set of spiked armor that, you know, has magical properties um, and you find good art for it, um, it doesn't hurt to reskin it as something that gets somebody who's a realms fan excited and put a tiny bit of lore in there and say, you know, this armor was worn by the, you know, the battle hammer dwarves and their spiked armor in Contogram or, I mean, that's wrong, but <laughs> in Kelvin's <laughs> kit, I guess. Um, 
But yeah, it can be challenging. If you really want to dive into the continuity, you can, and it's there for you. But you can also take advantage of it without, um, without creating uh, a, a project for you that you're not excited about. Um, you only have to go in deep in, into the lore as deep as you want to. Um, there are um, products like uh, Steve Fiddler's Amrun's Almanac, which goes very deep into each of the biomes of the realms and mentions you know, awesome locations, which are huge resources for people that love the Forgotten Realms. Um, and then there are other projects uh, like uh, Heavy Arms, who made an past adamantine selling uh, just armor upgrades. And I don't think Heavy Arms has, but maybe one, if that reference to the Forgotten Realms or any of, you know, the lore IP in his supplement. But he does make mention of the rule sets uh, and doesn't have to be careful about the uh, open gaming license because um, he's publishing in a setting that, you know, D and D owns. Yeah. Makes sense. That's awesome. Um, One, one kind of final thing. So uh, I know that it's, it's all, it's about the language. So Mm -hmm. there's, all the books have have a certain style when you're describing a monster, yeah. when you're describing a spell, when you're describing elements of a subclass or something. What's what's the best way for for people? Do, like, do you have to stick rigidly to that? Go no, look up all these examples, all. or what do you yeah. usually do? Yeah, um, so there is a official Wizards of the Coast House style guide. Uh, it's available. You can Google Watsi House Style Guide. It gets updated. It was updated uh, a couple years ago to have more gender inclusive language. Um, they, I mean, your best resources are that and uh, the latest books. Um, you can see things like in uh, Theros where they have um, changed from having wordings for things like saying starting at fifth level instead now under the feature they have an athletic athletics in italics a fifth level class feature basically um i would say you don't have to stick to that language um however people are tend to expect it um your products will do better if you stick to that standard language um because they're familiar with it and um it 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 leaves your customer having to do less work to incorporate your content. And the last thing you want to do is make something harder for DMs. I just totally froze for like 15 seconds there. Sorry about that. That's okay. No. Yeah. (laughs) Um, That's, that's, that's super interesting. So it's, it's just one of those. Yeah. If you, you don't have to do it, mm -mm. but it may benefit you if you do. Mm -hmm. You can basically write like an essay and include a small mechanics and say, this essay can help you in your games because, and you can publish that. Will somebody buy it? That's a totally different question. But can you do it? Yes, you can. Very okay. cool. Cool. So, I mean, it's, it sounds like it's, it's very accessible. You just kind of have to have the, the will yeah. and, and the ideas. to. That, that is the biggest thing that stands out to me. And it's why it's such a good place to, to get started. Um, because the barriers to entry, you don't need to know how to run a Kickstarter campaign. You don't need to create a giant page. You just need to focus on what matters, which is creating something you're passionate about. Very cool. If you, if yeah. you could shout out one or two things that you really like that, that aren't necessarily yours from the DMs Guild, what would you, what would you point players to? Um, so let's see. So Heavy Arms, um, 
I know it's the armorers. Let me get the let me get the wording real quick. It's, it's two A words. <laughs> um, I've got it open here. It's always like in the top 20. Okay, yeah, yeah. The Oh, yeah, no. The Armorer's Handbook, Equipment Upgrade and Rune Magic. Um, it is an adamantine seller, which is the highest metal you can achieve. Um, another uh, supplement that uh, I think is really cool that a lot of people else will is Exploring Eberron. It's by Keith Baker creator of Eberron. Um, so he kind of legitimizes the guild in a way. If it's good enough for the creator of Eberron, um, you can totally get on this platform and be proud of it. Um, other projects that have stuck out to me, obviously, uh, Ashley Warren's Uncaged series. Yes. Um, that, you know, did a lot for representations of, uh, you know, female creatures in uh, D&D, not demonizing them. Um, uh Steve Fiddler and Brian Holmes uh, with ERF Jordan uh, or An- I, I think and ERF Jordan. I should, I should. Uh, yes. Steve Fiddler, Brian Holmes and ERF Jordan um, for mythic encounters, a ton of different mythic level threats for Theros. Uh, and then of course, um, all of the uh, awesome encounter supplements by the DMs Guild Adepts who um I believe all of the current adepts have written on an official wizard's hardcover. So they that's a, the, that's a special designation, right? It is. Yeah. It, it's reserved for kind of the best and brightest of the DMs guild and folks from the industry. Um, it's a separate ribbon from the rest of the guild. Uh, and you get a, you, I mean, you get your own icon, basically that's a gold version of the symbol to stick on there. Um, uh, I have been, I've been gunning for a, for a Guild Adept spot uh, since I started, but uh, maybe one day I'll get there. Um, but uh, Celeste Conowich just, she published a Dino World, which is a super Jurassic Park style adventure. Oh, so um, cool. And uh, Eberron, super cool. Um, yeah, and normally in the DMs Guild, just for people who are running like Descent or, or Frostmaiden or you know, these, these types of published adventures, the the adepts uh, and other people usually write supplements, correct? Mm-hmm. To to help flesh these out. Yeah, they they've done uh, different encounter supplements. Um, this week they released uh, an encounters in Theros supplement, um, or not this week? Uh, a few weeks back, released encounters in Theros with that book. Um, the Waterdeep City encounter supplement is really great for any city campaign even not water deep uh, it's general enough uh, and then they've done other things like adventures or um, things like Mert's Undermountain survival guide which has like its own subclasses and things and you can play as a mind flayer and stuff like that super cool I love mind flayers if you can't super tell cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I I think the 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 thing from the DMs Guild that has helped me the most as a DM has actually been uh, two supplements called adaptable NPCs. Yeah. Adaptable NPCs too. Um, I have used, I have used that so many times yeah. as a, as a nice little plug and play for just different characters, all levels of CR, all types. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been incredibly useful. Yeah. That would, that'd be one of my biggest, biggest, uh, shout outs for for the dms guild hammond's harvesting handbook is another one that stands out it's like if your players want to harvest things off of monsters 
they make certain checks based on them. And if they do well, they get pieces of, you know, different, if you want to like simulate monster hunter, um, you know, you can play it like that and it's super cool. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. Lots of, lots of really awesome stuff on there. So if you haven't been over there, dmsguild.com, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really Check haven't dug in too much and I need to, cause there's so much on here and yeah. I mean, any, any little bit of it can supplement and just add to anything that you're running. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, uh, we usually have uh, our little what what we're doing in our game segment, but but before we get to that, Justice, I wanted to thank you so much for coming on. It's been super enlightening. It's been an absolute pleasure to to chat with you. Yeah, likewise. Uh, uh, I wanted to give you a chance to shout out all your stuff. Um, where can people find you? Uh, your websites, things you've done on the DMs Guild. You guys. Uh, you recently collaborated on uh, a project that was just mm-hmm. fairly recently released on there as well. So uh, yeah, just where can people find you and uh, what are some of the stuff you've, you've got going? Yeah. Um, so I'm pretty, pretty dang active on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at justice underscore Armin. Um, I post about my games, DM tips, uh, role play warmups every Friday and monster Mondays where I kind of do a little bit of a deep dive into a monster and uh, how you can use it in your games. Um, my website is www.justicearmin.com. Uh, and most recently, uh, two projects, I co-led uh, Darkhold Secrets of the Zintarim with Anthony Joyce and MT Black. Um, currently, I believe that's a, a gold bestseller right now. Um, super awesome. If you ever do anything in the Forgotten Realms with the Zentarium, um, it's a great uh, book. And it also has a cool section on Thieves Cant if you want to role play out a secret language with one Very of your players cool. at the table. Um, yeah. we are, uh, I'm part of a company called Crystal Quill Press with Anthony and MT. Um, we are starting a project kickstarter uh next month uh that you can follow on kickstarter now it's called nazi dracula must die um it's a 5e (laughs) original uh setting an adventure in which you um are in world war ii um in kind of a world war weird science and and stuff like that uh it's gonna be it's a lot of fun and the video uh promoting it is has the transatlantic accent and everything (laughs) That's awesome. Um, and then, yeah, this Friday I'll be on D&D Celebration for a panel on how to become a D&D designer uh, and then streaming with Beetle and Grimm's about our Rhyme of the Frost Maiden box. Very cool. Very nice. Very, very cool. And that's, a, that's actually a great reminder that uh, this weekend we have D&D Celebration. It's going yeah. on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. There's going to be uh, tons of awesome panels. Uh, <laughs> And Justice is going to be on a panel. There's going to be a bunch of live games. Uh, there's probably going to be some reveals for Tasha's. Yeah, they're going to be some of the cool. new AL stuff. You can actually play test it um, in your AL character. They showed some of the alternative race uh, bonuses too. Yeah, I'm, I am super pumped for Tasha's. I think that's going to be a, a very major... It's it's all variant stuff, but it, I still think it'll be an incredibly major uh, source book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, that'll, for that'll be a big one. Um, awesome. Well, everyone, definitely go check out some of that stuff. I, I have learned a lot 
uh, by following him. There's a lot of really great blog articles on his site. So definitely go check that out. And uh, if you, if you've got time justice before, before uh, you leave us, it sounded like you had a very interesting session the other oh, night. Yeah. You want to hear about my session? I yeah. would love, I would love to. Yeah. Um, so uh, super interesting and not connected to the pandemic whatsoever. Um, <laughs> before it began, my players decided that their dark secret for Baldur's Gate would involve a icker, like a otherworldly disease that was spreading through the population that they kind of uh, nicked before it could spread. And uh, it came back up in our campaign um, and they learned that it was connected to some sort of illithid colony deep within the, uh, the underdark underneath Baldur's Gate. Um, it's actually, uh, as my camera falls out of uh, focus. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's good, suspense. Good thing it's a podcast, right? Yeah. Uh, exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's actually um, was stemming from this dead elder brain that uh, they still don't know what killed the elder brain. Um, but they went deep into the earth and clashed over this huge chasm. And I have these really cool drift stones from Dwarven Forge um, where the characters were jumping on these floating stones and then they could use a bonus action to make an intelligent check, intelligence check to will the stones forward. Um, and there were some blink dogs running across and attacking them. Um, but during the exchange, um, the Mind Flayer stunned our party Artificer. Uh, and in the process, stunned this young Githyanki, played by one of our guest uh, NPCs, played by Nate, um, and told Nate's character that it would not be his prize today because Githyanki, they try to, you know, slay a Mind Flayer as their loyalty test and collect the skull for their Lich Queen. Um, but it actually uh, uh, was able to stun and uh, extracted the brain from one of my one of my characters. Oh uh, no! And uh, they're hanging, you know, on these stones, floating hundreds and hundreds of feet off the air. Um, super epic! Like, if there's any way you want your character to go, it's it's slayed by a mind flare on a super <laughs> otherworldly bridge deep in the underdark. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, su super epic. Um, that player, you know, everybody at the table has told me since that like that was one of their favorite sessions. Um, and that player is thinking about whether or not they want to make a deal, um, with this, uh, devil, which is slowly getting promoted <laughs> because they keep <laughs> making deals increasing in level, making their souls more and more valuable to, uh, to Meepo is his name. Uh, started out an imp and now he's a bearded devil. So we'll see where that goes. That's the, the fun thing about Descent is you've got those alternative options. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I, it is super cool because I could use my Caverns Deep uh, pieces and it was an elevation build. So, um, you know, whenever you reveal that to your players, it's like, you know, they're kids in a toy store. They're like, oh. Oh. This is crazy. We could die here. This is amazing. That is that is definitely one of the things I miss the most about in-person games. Yeah. Right now is I, I switched over to using Foundry and Incarnate to to build my maps, which is is it's cool. 
Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. It's, it's cool, but it's not the same because I, I 3D print a lot of miniature of my miniatures. Yeah. And stuff. It's not the same as being able to like pull, pull the map out, throw some miniatures on and ah, everyone's yeah. goes crazy. <laughs> Super yeah. cool. That's why you need an overhead camera like how I do it. That's <laughs> right. Cameras are a good idea. I've really thought about it at times. Um, I might want to do that. Yeah, yeah, it's actually worked out surprisingly well. Oh, that's cool. You know, I just highly recommend that each player base has a different color on it so they can track themselves a lot easier. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, that makes I bet, a lot of sense. It helps them stand out a lot. Yeah. Uh, anything anything good, for, new for you, Ben? Any Any craziness? Well, um, my party got to the, the halfling town of Wallowdale. This is all uh, homebrew campaign stuff. Uh, and found out that it wasn't there. Uh, basically, <laughs> th- uh, the party's been tracking these, these five uh, mystical orbs that are from this demigod that like, created the world. And um, the fun thing about them is, is that if you kind of cast a spell through it, it uh, multiplies the effects of that spell a great deal. Well... The idea behind it is that this cult is going around uh, trying to charge these with all this like death and soul energy and everything. And so they ended up casting a summon fire onto elemental spell with the, 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 the brazier, but mm-hmm. used the orb with it. And it just happened to just, you know, open up a portal to the fire plane instead. And uh, you know, all this heat and fire and lava and stuff was going through, destroyed the town there's some elementals kind of wandering around um, the, the, the armored kind of elemental, which I totally forget the Meriden or, or whatever mm-hmm. um, was uh, summoned in. And so they ended up uh, basically uh, pulling the orb away, which closed the portal right away. They banished one of the, the big heavy duty elementals back to the fire plane. Gotta have the banishment. Oh yeah, the banishment. Then, there it is. Yep. Then that that sorcerer just like stayed away from all damage whatsoever. So I'm like, okay, it doesn't make sense for everything to jump on the sorcerer. So I'm like, okay. But um, sometimes it, you feel that way, though. Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I would have to say it's probably one of the most intense um, actual encounters that we've had in the, in this campaign, and yeah. definitely the most damage has gone out because hey, if you're caught on fire. It's just damage, so yay! Constant, yeah, every round. Yeah, yeah. Constant but, damage. Uh, yeah, so th- they were successful in getting the orb, and uh, they're they're heading back to town uh, next session. So looking nice. forward to it. That's awesome. Mine, mine was kind of the opposite of that because uh, my my secondary campaign I play, uh, it's I played in my same homebrew world, and so I have two campaigns playing in the same world at the same time, which is is kind of interesting because sometimes the events of one affect uh affect the other which which makes the world feel a lot more alive and is is kind of fun right now the this group is basically a mercenary group and they're going to try and find this uh uncle and this noble son who lost in the mountains trying to find this mining claim uh the so my mountain range is called the iron spike mountains and then there's something called the endless storm which is this massive storm that just constantly circles this one area and one of my players is actually from the Iron Spike Mountains. And they got to the this camp early in the morning. They were going to go up in the mountains. And she was just like, hey, guys, we shouldn't do this. We should wait until morning. We shouldn't travel in the mountains at night. It's just, it's just a bad idea. She got overruled. They went out. <laughs> it starts raining. It starts pouring. And all the stuff that I had planned to do went out the window. And it turned into 
a session of pure survive this massive flash flood Whoa. that just began happening. And it was really cool. That's kind of opposite sessions. Yeah. One, <laughs> one fire, <laughs> one water. Yeah. yeah it, it was so cool just to see them. Cause you don't get to see like the, the non-combat spells used as much. Um, so they, they had their immovable rod that they used to, to great effect. Uh, the um, ranger had rope trick that they ended up using to keep from drowning as they, uh, their enclave started filling up with water. They went up into their little extra dimensional hole until the, the water started receding and uh, just a lot of really great creativity in a really like sucky situation. And it's super funny because afterwards we all laughed about it because they could have avoided it entirely if they had just waited the one night <laughs> in the in the camp at the bottom of the mountains. <laughs> so, but it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, sounds like it. Freaking DD, I'll tell you. All right. Well, that is uh that is it for the show for today. Again, uh Justice, thank you so much for coming. Um, uh it was just super fun talking to you uh, and got a lot of a lot of good information that I will definitely take back to my own table as well. Cool. Uh, ben, why don't you uh, get us out of here and uh, let people right. know where we can be reached? Well, hey, uh, if you want to uh, reach out to us on Twitter, we are on Twitter at DN Discussions. Uh, Ryan and I both have access to that. So if you want to ask us questions, tell us a quick little blurb or something, feel free because uh, we're always looking for that. However, if you have something a little bit uh, longer that takes something like, oh, I don't know, an email to, you know, kind of discuss, you can send those to us. Uh, that address is dndiscussions at gmail.com. And of course, if this is the first episode you've ever listened to, check out dndiscussions.com as well as Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, everything else. You can find us there. Uh, now, Ryan, if they're looking for you specifically, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at tbkzord. All right. And I am at Ben Bumhofer. And uh, last but not least, uh, things are getting heated up in Plus 5 to Hit, which is our uh, persistent campaign podcast. If you want to hear what's going on in there, oh man, the session we had last night should be out in about uh, a week or two. Oh my gosh. Oh man. Insane. All I can say. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Well, thank you very much, Ben. Thank you again, Justice. And uh, everyone take care. We will see you next time. Until then. Be good to each other.